Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Let's talk about the uh, the NHS and how it's uh, going to be able to cope with Roy Lilly. He's a former NHS Trust chairman and joins us now. Good morning to you. Morning, Julie. Good um, morning, all. There are an awful lot of things to talk about right now. I mean, not not only the idea that I mean, let's just run through a few things and, we'll, and then we'll we'll chat about them. Uh, all routine surgery realistically is going to be cancelled from this week onwards. Uh, government is going to be requisitioning uh, hotels, private hospitals uh, to be used by the NHS. Uh, we also know British industry being put on a war footing. Uh, calls from the health secretary and others yesterday uh, for uh, uh, big companies like Rolls Royce uh, and JCB to take over the uh, the the. Uh, production lines of uh, ventilators. Apparently the NHS only has 5,000. Absolutely terrifying. May even run out of oxygen, we're told. Uh, we have obviously far fewer beds per head of the population than uh, countries like Germany, France and, and Italy, which, by the way, is already uh, creaking uh, under the pressure. Um, is the NHS going to be able to cope with this, Roy? I don't think any healthcare system in the world is going to be able to cope. I mean, if we look at what's happened in Italy... Now, Italy has a, a slightly more fragmented service than us. It's a regionally based service, but fundamentally, it's a very good healthcare system. It's modern or, you know, up to date. It's not, you know, don't think of it, you know, those foreigners over there don't know how to it, run a health system. It's an international league tables. It's rated a lot higher than ours. Yes, and, and the, in terms of outcomes, you're right. And they put in 9% of their, their GDP into the health service, and they've done it consistently. So it's a good health service, but it's swamped. And you can see by the pictures on the news that, that they've run out of places and people are now being put in on camp beds in warehouses. They don't have respirators. They can't find them. They can't buy them. So I don't know how people are going to get through this, but they're being nursed, barrier nursed, in warehouses on camp beds. And that's, I mean, that's about as third world as it gets. Yeah, and especially as this is a respiratory disease and therefore being in, in good, you know, clean air conditions and, and the right temperature and like, is absolutely vital. Yes, it is. I mean, this is fundamentally, I mean, uh, it's a bit more complicated than this, but in basic terms, COVID-19 gives us pneumonia. And the treatment for pneumonia without having some kind of antiviral, without having a, a, a pharmaceutical solution, is the old-fashioned way of barrier nursing so that people don't, in the next bed, catch it, and the use of oxygen. Oxygen either with a mask or oxygen with a full Monty ventilator thing to, to, to breathe for you while you're ill. In extremists, of 5% of people who find themselves in this 
situation, 5% will probably need further kit and caboodle to support their uh, their other organs. So, for example, they may need dialysis, they'll need liver support, and, and also there's the question of uh, heart attacks. So these people will need a proper ITU with all the kit. Now, you, the oxygen thing, let me, let's deal with that, if, if you like. Um, the oxygen, if you go to hospital and you visit someone, there's usually a bank of switches and bits and pieces above the bed. One of the things to look out for is a little valve, and that's where they plug in to the oxygen, because the oxygen is piped around the hospital. It's not normal oxygen. It's, a, it's medical-grade oxygen, super pure, uh, and it can be used with uh, water so the oxygen just doesn't go straight into the lungs. It's, yeah. it's humidified. Um, now, okay, where can you do that? We can do that on all the wards. So we could clear out the wards, stop doing elective procedures, stop doing hips and knees and all that sort of stuff, use the surgical beds for medical purposes. You can do it in ITU, of course, in intensive therapy units. You can do it in operating theatres. You can do it in recovery rooms in operating theatres. Then you start having to think about the corridors. Now, in Italy, they're using the corridors and they're piping the oxygen in. in if it's really tough, you can use tanks of oxygen on little trolleys, but they soon run out. Uh, and so you're going to have a lot of people running around with a lot of tanks. And then, of course, you move into a tent in the car park that the army's put up. So it, this is, you know, this is not easy. It's, it's not. We mustn't think of the the treatment of patients uh, in terms of, you know, tucking your granny up in a nice warm bed and giving her a tablet. Yeah. This is the full Monty. Um, because the other issue then is, have we got the specialist nurses? Have we got the specialist intensivists, as we call them, intensive care doctors, uh, to sort it out? And then if we have, we know we haven't. So what are we doing about training more people? Yeah, well, indeed. Again, I mean, we know that medics right now are being taken out of every other speciality to be trained up to use these uh, these ventilators and, and, to, and to specifically uh, treat uh, uh, COVID-19. I've got a family member who's, again, just taken off you know, the academic side of nursing training, being put on to doing that. Um, big concern I had uh, at the weekend. On Friday night, I was talking with uh, an AE consultant who's a, who's a family friend who was explaining why it's so important, for instance, that the that people over 70 are, 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 are isolated at the moment. And this particularly comes into uh, stark relief after this Public Health England document that's been seen uh, by The Guardian, which suggests that we could be looking at a whole year of dealing with COVID-19, obviously going up and down. We're going to have second hits of it over the next winter. But also the fact that we are looking at as many as 80% of the population expected to be infected. Very different from the prediction that was a worst-case scenario, which Chris Whitty was saying uh, last week. But um, we're looking at, uh, with our infection rate, overall what you've seen in China, what you've seen in South Korea, Italy and elsewhere, 15% of people needing hospitalisation, perhaps not being on ventilators, but needing certainly hospitalisation, proper treatment. That would mean 7.9 million people over the next year uh, needing uh, that treatment, which is uh, a huge, huge number of people. Um, and, and this any consultant was saying to me, the key issue about why we need uh, people who are vulnerable or in their over 70, whether they're healthy or not over 70, whether they're like my parents, you just simply don't think that they are unwell, is that actually you, you, you know you, no one no one gives a memo to the virus about the age of your uh, uh, about how well your 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 lungs and your heart are they're, they're, the the age is, is what determines the problem is that realistically when we run short of beds when we run short of staff and run short of uh, ventilators and oxygen there are going to be some very 
harsh life and death decisions made in hospitals by staff who are going to have to be forced to decide who lives or dies. And realistically, if they've got a 30-year-old who needs a, a ventilator uh, and if they've got a, a 70-year-old, they're going to choose the 30-year-old. And that's why we're seeing a higher death rate among uh, the over 70s in other countries. Yes, um, and these are very difficult moral and ethical decisions that will have to be made on a daily basis. My guess is that they'll have um, ethical committees that will meet and they'll review the patients. And they'll, that it won't be left to one individual doctor or one nurse to make that decision. The, um, it will start with national guidance um, on um, and people's projected ability to recover, and, and then it will be left locally and they'll get it, there'll be a whole series of decision-making steps that will be... Um, developed for local use and where local medics will have local ethical committees and they will they will decide they'll call it treatment protocols they'll dress it up in 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 a different language but fundamentally the treatment protocols will take into account age underlying health conditions and the prospect of uh, of uh, uh, added life years for recovery so yes it's going to happen I mean, that's the thing. We do, we do need to wake up to this, don't we? Um, and, and in terms of uh, the, the, the countries sort of trying to come together um, and, uh, and, and, you know, other industries helping, JCB, Rolls-Royce being told, you know, everyone else, look, can you, can you make ventilators? Make ventilators, the NHS will buy them. Uh, you know, trying to take over hotels. Uh, I mean, hotels being ideal, really, because the isolation, people have access to the toilet facilities and things on the suite. Um, we, this, is, this is a wartime footing, isn't it? It is. Uh, I mean, the hotels and the and the uh, private health sector will be used, I think, for non-corona purposes. They will try and ring fence them to keep them um, uh, uh, disease-free, because the the day-to-day business of the NHS, with in inverted commas normal sick people, will still have to be treated. So I think we'll see them sort of treated somewhere else. As far as the ventilators are concerned, I think this is unforgivable. I mean, three on the 11th of March, I think it was, Hillary Benn had health questions, asked the Secretary of State whether or not we've got enough uh, uh, respirators and, and, and ventilating kit. And, and he said, we're, we're buying more. He kind of ducked the question. And I thought then that was a strange answer because we only have 4,000 ITU beds. We reckon now that we've got up to about 5,000. There's a worldwide shortage of this kit because guess what? This yeah. is a global pandemic yeah. and everybody's buying the kit. Germany bought 10,000 ventilating kits last week. Now, the European Union will, uh, will pass regulations, I'm sure, that will say that they won't be able to export beyond the European Union any medical devices kit that are, that's needed during this pandemic. I'm pretty sure they'll ban exports. I don't think America's going to be making them to send them to overseas. Yep. Um, We're on our and- own. I think we are. And this business about, you know, well, we made Spitfires during the war. We can make ventilators now. It's nonsense because these are highly sophisticated bits of kit. It's very regulated. Now, you can waive the regulations. You can actually, the government does have power to override people's uh, patents. The plan is, I think, is for the assembly part of our manufacturing business to be given all the components and they're going to put it all together or they'll make it under license from one of the British manufacturers. Though that's all very well, it's, but you've still got to get the components. A yeah. lot of them come from the far And again, east. yeah, and, and exactly, and the parts for it. Again, it is not as simple and easy, and perhaps something that should have been done uh, in the last month. I will have to leave it there. Roy Lilly, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Uh, former NHS Trust Chairman Roy Lilly there. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Talk Radio with Julia Hartley-Brewer, powered by Stories of Our Times, at the brand new Times podcast launching today. 
Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Well, let's talk to Carl Knightley, who's Chief Executive of Faith in Later Life. They're a charity that's sponsored by uh, five Christian charities who all work with older people. Good morning to you, Carl. Hello, good morning. Um, I mean, it's an incredibly worrying time. I, I know a lot of elderly people getting very concerned and a lot of people uh, like myself who, who are worried about our elderly relatives and neighbours. It's a real time of concern. I think we all want to protect older people, but um, there's so much anxiety out there and, and often older people are already uh, lonely and isolated. Um, and that's the thing, isn't it? And I, I'm thinking, I have to say, one of my thoughts this weekend was, God, I'm, re- I'm really lucky I like my other half because, you know, we're going to be spending a lot more time together. I mean, I hope we still like each other after a few months in isolation. But um, actually, you know, at least we've got we've got people for company. But, you know, we're t- I'm telling, you know, my, you know, the grandparents and my family, you know, we can't visit you, you can't visit us. We're a risk to you right now with a child still at school. Um, realistically, you know, uh, those who live alone are, are going to get very lonely. It's going to be difficult. It's probably going to get more difficult. Uh, um, and that's why it's so important that we take stock of those around us and see how we can reach out to support them to, to help alleviate that loneliness. OK, well, let's talk through what we can do. Because um, on, on, on Friday, when I got home from work, uh, I wrote emails to two neighbours uh, of mine who I, we've been in contact before about other things. Um, I know, you know, are elderly and, and one, one of them has been unwell. Just wrote an email saying, look, you know, we're, we're, we're next door. You know, here's my, here's my mobile number. You call me if you need me to do your shopping or anything you need. You know, we're next door. My husband's able-bodied. You know what I mean? We can, we can, we can do jobs for you and stuff. But just let us know if you need anything. And we, we heard back. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe, you know, writing a letter and sort of printing it all out and just dropping one through to the door of everyone in the street because I don't know most of the people in my street. And I don't know if there are going to be people who are, who are ill, who are elderly, who live on their own, who don't have anyone to help them. Uh, exactly right, and, and we're starting to see a movement of people actually doing exactly what you've just said, um, st- writing those letters, and, and I, I, I sent some leaflets uh, through the doors uh, on my road uh, at the weekend, and actually 15 minutes after getting in, the first phone call arrived from an elderly lady who was really appreciative of that support, mm. and, uh, and so whatever, whether it's your street or, or your church or whatever your group social group context is, let's, let's remember um, those people and actually see how we can uh, continue to remember them even if they have yeah. to stay behind their door. I was thinking, I mean, that was my thought was, you know, I'm a, I'm a healthy 51-year-old, I've got my child, and I'm, thank goodness we're not having to worry about children at this time, that's, that's the only saving grace of this virus, uh, and you know, I've got my husband, and, and you know, I'm a financially secure, and I'm thinking, oh, I've got a lot of things to be very, very grateful here right now, worried about, very, very worried about elderly relatives, as I know many people are, but, but at least I'm not having to worry about myself and I, I can't imagine what it must be like to be on your own perhaps a uh, family children gra- grandchildren many many uh, uh, miles away or, or or no family at all and worrying that, that you're going to be on your own for the next four months and you know when you're struggling with health uh, as it happens uh, or you're you know frail or whatever it might be uh, those anxiety levels being raised will make things worse and, and your health may even suffer yeah. but you know a lot of people are talking about the wartime spirit and so on and so forth um, I don't know about that, but I do know that it is important. This is the time when we need to really think about how we respond as a community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we, we would encourage anyone, just, you know, we all, we all live somewhere community. Lots of people, especially where I live in London, people don't tend to speak to their, their neighbours unless they're making complaints about noise. If we all, if everybody just drops a note to the houses, you know, house opposite, um, next door and, the, and, and on both sides, just drops a note saying, hi, if there's anything I can do to help, get in touch. If we could all just find out who might be needing help in the coming months, um, it, it, it will make such a difference to people's lives, won't it? Absolutely right. It, it doesn't 
take much. And actually, there's templates floating around. If yes. you just want to print one off and put them through doors. Uh, and those persons, those people who receive those letters might not need your help, but it might be just having the knowledge that someone actually cares yeah. really affects them and impacts them positively. Absolutely, absolutely. Carl Knightley, he's Chief Executive Officer of Faith in Later Life. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Know your times. Right, uh, I'm delighted to say uh, the Transport Secretary Grant Shapps does join us now. Good morning to you. Morning. Good morning. Glad we managed to sort out that line. Um, let, let's talk briefly, if we can, first about the, the latest transport news. Uh, EasyJet, British Airways, both uh, cancelling majority of their uh, their flights, majority of their fleets being grounded. Demands from BA, Virgin and others for a bailout for the airlines. Uh, what economic help are you able to offer them? So I'm meeting with uh, the... Uh, morning, by the way. Good I'm morning, meeting, sorry. I'm, I'm meeting with the uh, transport aviation sector uh, this week um, that actually we're getting different requests from different um, uh, airlines. So Virgin, as you say, uh, did write and ask for a, a very big bailout for the uh, sector. British Airways are in a slightly different position. They don't think that is the right way forward. I think there are a number of different things that we can do, um, some of which I've done already. For example, there were these ghost flights flying empty uh, just to preserve the airline slots in future years. And I wrote and lobbied the EU Commission, eventually got their agreement uh, to drop that requirement. Um, so that, that things like that help. But of course, much more uh, you know, we need to absolutely stand behind good businesses, not just airlines, but good businesses and individuals in this country who, if it weren't for this corona uh, situation, would have very viable uh, organisations and should be allowed to continue. And that is our objective as a government. That's what 
you know, the budget was all about last week. Okay. And uh, we'll be doing uh, more well, going let, forward. Let's talk about what's, uh, what's going to be happening from now on because the Prime Minister is going to be, uh, or at least senior cabinet ministers alongside the uh, uh, the chief medical officer and the chief science advisor chairing uh, these uh, uh, annual press conferences from now on to ensure communication of what the government policy is, is made clearer to the public. A lot of criticism over the weekend, not only of the actual policy, the actual strategy the government has for dealing with coronavirus, very different from what our EU neighbours are doing, but a lot of criticism also of the government's communication, a lot of confusion about what is going to happen over the next few weeks. Um, do you accept that the government hasn't actually been on its uh, on its front foot when it comes to dealing with this uh, outbreak? So, so those will be daily uh, press conferences um, from now on, as, as you say. Uh, and uh, look, our, our approach as a government, I suppose, has been a bit different to others. We have been entirely scientifically led. The chief medical officer, the chief scientific officer always stood alongside the prime minister when we meet in COBRA, as we'll be doing later today. We'll be listening to and taking that scientific uh, advice. Uh, and of course, right at the beginning of this, we set out an action plan with absolutely everything um, that we uh, would be considering uh, during this uh, crisis uh, and been working through that action plan. So we've been um, you know, very sort of the objective is to be completely transparent with all, all of this and let people decide. And, of course, some people will have other views. I mean, that is perfectly proper and right and actually quite helpful because we can look at those views and see whether we think we're getting it right. But following the science rather than knee-jerk reactions, I think, is absolutely the right way to deal with I mean, the argument seems serious. to be a lot of the things that have been announced in, uh, uh, you know, neighbouring European countries and indeed in America are things that make, have a big effect on the economy, a big effect on people's individual lives, but don't necessarily do very much to either slow down the virus or cut the number of, uh, of fatalities. Um, other countries are in different places. We, we have fewer cases at the moment, meaning that they're probably just a week or two ahead of us in this uh, in this pandemic uh, in, in other locations. So that would explain some of it. And the other thing is that, as I say, if you speak to the scientists and ask them, is there an advantage of, for example, uh, preventing people from flying? It's sort of thing that sounds like it's a good idea. But actually, when you look at it, if uh, the country, the two countries both uh, already have the virus, then, of course, it actually has no net impact uh, on the outcome. So our, our entire approach is to follow the scientific advice and get together in this great national effort to defeat this virus. Well, you talk about this national effort. People are talking about a wartime footing, mm. uh, taking over, requisitioning you know, private hospitals and hotels uh, to, to help with the, the, the fight, but also asking uh, major companies like JCB and Rolls-Royce to help with uh, making ventilators. Um, we've only got, we discovered from the Health Secretary, I say 5,000 ventilators. Um, two weeks ago, uh, Hilary Benn, the Labour MP, was asking if we had enough ventilators. Last week, Germany bought 10,000 of the things. Um, it does appear that there, a lot of the time that we've known that this virus could very likely spread to this country, we've seen it, what happened in Italy, that's been growing for weeks and weeks, a lot of that time does appear to have been wasted. Action hasn't been taken that could have perhaps saved future lives. No, I don't think that's right. Actually, I checked this very point with the Health Secretary last night. The NHS started with 5,000 ventilators, but has been buying them internationally. He said for, yesterday they have 5,000. 
thousand. No, no, he was accepting that it, the NHS started with five thousand, okay. but the NHS has been buying uh, ventilators over the previous weeks and months. I think one of so, the how many have we got now? Uh, I, I'm afraid I don't know the answer. You to wait that, a minute. But, you asked you asked that you asked the health secretary that question and didn't say. So, how many have we got now? I, I, I'm afraid it wasn't it wasn't that d- detailed a conversation. Okay. But what I can tell you is one of the interesting aspects of this is that um, we weren't. Uh, privy to the way that the Chinese were uh, handling us in the same way as we were to the way that the um, Italians were. And uh, ventilators are extremely important um, in in this, and many, many more have been acquired. Uh, But we also know that there are great manufacturing, advanced manufacturing companies in this country. In fact, I've had organizations contact me this weekend and there's an email and a phone number going up today on the Business Bay's website uh, for organizations who want to be involved in that national effort to produce more respirators. But no, we we do have many more. Uh, But this is just part of a much, much bigger uh, program of not just respirators, but how we deal with people who are going to self-isolate at home and the elderly and the vulnerable who will be doing the, the same and how the community reaches out to them as well. Um, and in, in terms of uh, the Public Health England document, which uh, has been revealed in The Guardian, it's talked about some of the figures um, that Chris Whitty, the government's chief medical advisor, talked about last Thursday, which were talking about worst case scenarios. This, this briefing makes clear that actually we're looking at what's expected. 80% of the population being infected and up to 15%. That's almost 8 million people requiring hospitalisation. Not treatment in hospital, but hospitalisation. Is the NHS able to cope with that? So two things. First of all, it's a reasonable worst case scenario. It's not what we expect to happen. It would be in a worst case. Secondly, um, these figures, all of which are actually going to be published anyway, so there's no great sort of secret. The health secretary had already said we're going to publish all of the underlying workings so people can look at them themselves. Um, But uh, I think the same document was talking about uh, if under a worst case scenario, the things extended out a a lot longer. So this would be people over a long period of time. So the NHS is well prepared, but it is quite clear, given the scale of this global crisis, that any health system will be under uh, considerable pressure. And it's one of the reasons why we've been taking these various different measures in order to try to flatten the peak of you know, what we know is coming. We're only, I'm afraid, still in the foothills of uh, the, the, the escalation in terms of the number of cases. And we've seen that in other countries. So we know that to be the case. OK, just finally, uh, lots of people have been panicked buying over the weekend. I mean, there are plenty of supermarkets where the shelves are still uh, well stocked. But loo roll and pasta seem to be the, uh, the purchases of, of, uh, of choice for people who are panic buying. What would you say to those people right now? Well, there's no, there's no need to, to, to do it. Eventually, people, I suppose, will just find that their cupboards are full of, of loo roll or, and or pasta. Uh, and and stop doing it because there's no there's no good purpose to doing it. It doesn't no advantage to doing it. Our our, our, our shops just actually restock. I was in the Asda in Hatfield in my own constituency on Friday, and I walked in, and indeed the new rail store you know shelves were empty. Uh, and uh, half an hour later, they were restocking them, and the people were coming in and buying those. The, the, the system will just keep restocking the shelves, so there, there is no need to, to to go out and and do that. And look. In this 
challenging times. We need this great national effort. And I think that includes people being sensible about the way that they shop, but also in particular, as we move forward, looking after everybody, including the most elderly and vulnerable in our society. I was on the phone to my parents who were well into their 80s uh, this weekend, helping them set up an online grocery shopping account because we know that there may well become a time where uh, they do need to. Are you worried for them? Of course, everyone. Who would not be worried for their for, for, for their elderly um, parents, of course. and um, But we can get through this, and we will um, if we work together. And I think that is the most important thing. We have to, as a society, as a nation, a great national effort, work to defeat this uh, virus, and we will. Uh, Grant Shapps, Transport Secretary, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.